And hasn't God just been good to us here this week? And uh, he has moved mightily, and we just appreciate him and what he has done and what he's going to do in this service. And we just want to uh, keep our focus on Jesus and lift him up, and I know he will move for us. Thank you again for all your kindness, your giving, and uh, we just appreciate each and every one of you. And uh, we just appreciate the Jeffries family so very much. Known them for quite a few years. And uh, just appreciate each and every one of them. And uh, we just want God to move here today, don't we? Let's get in. Sister Jessica, I'm saying. Well, this is usually a song we sing together, but he's dealing with a lot of sinus issues. So I'm going to try it on my own today. tried to make it on my own every time I tried to stand I start to fall all those lonely roads that I had traveled on there was Jesus when the life I built came crashing to the ground Blessing. 
Ain't you thankful that there was Jesus? We appreciate the Lord, and uh, my apologies to the sound man. I'm going to take a different path here. He asked for my title, and uh, I'm going to be using a different one, but that's all right. We just appreciate the Lord, and uh, looking forward to the services today. I'll be reading from the book of Exodus, chapter 29, and then the book of Hebrews, and uh, we appreciate Brother and Sister Jeffries, their labor of love and their ministry of mending here at this church in Romney, and uh, Lord willing, at the afternoon service, that we will direct our message, if it gets that far, to them, and uh, show our appreciation, and share something that the Lord has given, laid on our heart, but right now, I want to go to the book of Exodus, chapter 29, and verse 44, and then we'll be skipping over to Hebrews, chapter 7, Exodus 29 and 44, the Bible says, and I will sanctify the tabernacle of the congregation and the altar. I will sanctify also both Aaron and his sons to minister to me in the priest's office. I will sanctify also both Aaron and his sons to minister to me in the priest's office. Hebrews chapter 7 and we're going to set sail in 23. And they truly were many priests because they were not suffered to continue by reason of death. But this man, Jesus, but this man, because he continueth ever, hath an unchangeable priesthood. Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. For such an high priest became us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens, who needeth not daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifice, first for their own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once, for this he did once when he offered up himself. Chapter 8, now of the things which we have spoken, this is the sum. We have such an high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary of the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched and not man. Verse 6, but now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant which was established upon better promises. Also, he is the mediator of a better covenant which was established upon better promises. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you, Lord, for this grand opportunity to be gathered back in your house. God, we're thankful for this church, these precious people. God, this precious pastor and his wife. We thank you, Lord, for the work that they're doing here. But God, as we endeavor to break into your word, I pray, Lord, that you would visit us once again 
in this house around these altars. God, I pray, Lord, you would preach to me as I preach to them. God, let this word penetrate a heart. God, I pray your good Holy Ghost would arrest a soul in this house. God, help someone leave different than how they arrived. In your wonderful, precious, holy name, amen and amen. Thank you for standing. He is the mediator of a better covenant, which was established upon better promises. But this man, because he continueth ever, hath an unchangeable priesthood. If the Lord would stand with me here today, I'd like to preach this thought. I know a man on the inside. I know a man on the inside. When you step back into the pages that display the work and the ministry of the Old Testament tabernacle, there is some synergy between the brazen altar and the altar of incense. If you was to place them side by side, you would see a great similarity. They're very similar in their fashion, very similar in their shape. But between those two places, one of them is a killing place and the other is a praying place. But both are altars. At the brazen altar, the flesh was killed. At the altar of incense, the will was killed. Merton Satcher Rice said, Oh, the multitudes that have had salvation, price paid at the brazen altar, but yet still struggle with having their will to die at the altar of incense. I want you to realize that both of these altars are on fire. So please notice that it's going to take fire consuming to offer up the kind of sacrifice that makes your will submit to the will of a holy God. But I'm thankful that prayer will break through that fleshly will. Prayer will tear down the walls of the flesh as Christ prayed in the garden, in his moment of agony, in that moment of despair, but yet Christ being alone, praying that prayer, talked with the Father, and he prayed until he got to his nevertheless. Oh, that we would pray until we get to our nevertheless. He prayed until he got to his nevertheless. And in that moment of prayer, in that moment of agony, it was prayer that broke through that fleshly will. And he was able to proclaim, not my will, but thine be done. Because prayer will break through that fleshly will. They were instructed to take the fire from the brazen altar. And they were to use that same fire to burn the incense at the altar of incense. They were not to strike up a new fire. They were not to create a fire of their own. But it was to be the same fire that burned the sacrifice was to be the same flame that would burn the incense. I got to heaven. You see, salvation and deliverance 
in justification, in redemption, in being forgiven of God. It will light the fire of worship in your soul. If you've never experienced his work, then you won't know his worth. It's hard to get somebody to worship if they've never experienced a work of God in their life. So it tells me it's not a certain song that musters up worship. It's not three points in a poem that musters up worship. But if you've been saved, if you've been delivered, then the same fires of deliverance will burn the incense of worship in your heart and in your soul. (laughs) We should not have to be talked into worship. We should not have to be conjured into a praise. We should not have to be persuaded to lift our hands. We are not car salesmen standing behind this pulpit trying to sell you on the thought of God's goodness. But if you know his work and he's done something in your life, he's worthy of every praise. He's worthy of every hand lift. He's worthy of every worship. We all, we all could be headed to a devil's hell. But thank God we met him at the altars of deliverance. And that's why it ought to burn the worship in your heart and in your soul. At the brazen altar, the first thing at the gate, everybody had access to the brazen altar. You would be quickly introduced to it as soon as you stepped into the courts. But when you walk on to that altar of incense, that place of intercession, that place where Aaron and his sons would go into to minister, to represent the children of Israel. Ah, That's where God gives us a sneak preview of what he's going to do in his son, Jesus Christ. A shadow, Brother Jeffries, of things to come. But I'm thankful that I'm not gathered here on a Sunday morning at Safe Haven Tabernacle searching for a shadow. But I'm thankful that that shadow became a substance. And now when I gather, he will be in my midst. All the children of Israel had access to the brazen altar. But they could not get into They had no access to that most holy place. They could not get behind the curtain of that most holy place. But they slept like a baby at night because they knew they had a man on the inside. You see, when you have a man on the inside, 
they can carry your concerns to a place that you do not have access to on your own. That's what the high priest did for the children of Israel. They went to a place that the children couldn't go. They fought the battle that the children couldn't fight. They represented them in a place that they had no access to on their own. But thank God the joy that must have flooded their soul because they had a man on the inside. (laughs) They had to go in to say what Israel couldn't say. To fight what Israel couldn't fight. To go where Israel could not go. But thank God they had a man. May I please tell someone here today that Christ, that Christ is your man on the inside. That Jesus is your great high priest. He is your man. Christ is your man on the inside. In that holy place, a table of shoe bread, provision, an altar of incense, presence, prayers, a golden candlestick. The light would illuminate the room. Oh, the presence. May I please preach to somebody? Oh, the prayers of the man on the inside. Oh, the presence, my God, of the man on the inside. Oh, the power of the man on the inside. Oh, the provision of the man on the inside. I believe he's worthy of a hand raise. I believe he's worthy of some thanks. I believe he's worthy. We're not gathered in the name of some man, but we're gathered in the name of Jesus Christ. He is our man on the inside. (laughs) Anna Sherwood Hawks writes and tells of how when she was a younger lady, she strayed away from the Lord, being raised in a Christian home. She said she walked away, but she found herself back in the Father's house, prayed it through. She said she was sitting in the sunroom, as they called it, one afternoon, and the sun was shining through the window. And Anna Sherwood Hawk said, it was in that moment that I felt the presence of the Lord greater than I'd ever known him before. She goes, and in that moment, I couldn't even move. I was lost in his presence. After that little episode, she grabbed a pen and paper and wrote the ever famous hymn, I Need Thee. Oh, I need thee every hour. I need thee. And may I echo Anna Sherwood Hawks here today. I don't know about you, but as for Chad Everett, I need him. Every hour, every minute, every day, I need the Lord. 
the altar of incense. It is defined by fire. In order for there to have been a sweet aroma, something had to be burned. In order for that sweet aroma to fill that holy place, something had to be burned. And it is amazing to me that the sweetest worship often comes from the most bitter times in life. So when you desire a great prayer life, God doesn't give you a little booklet on prayer and say, figure it out for yourself, dude. No, that's not how that works. You know why? It takes fire. Fire will make you pray. <laughs> fire will make you get down on your knees and call out on God. Let me bring it close. Losing a job, that'll make you pray. Bills are due and the accounts are empty. That'll give you a prayer life. When the children are lost and wayward and bound by sin, that'll make you pray. Whew. When there's turmoil in the marriage, problems in the home, and there's stress in the mind, and worry in the heart, brother, that'll make you pray. When the mistakes are piling up, and you don't know what to do or where to go, brother, that will make you pray. Because fire, it'll make you pray. <laughs> Was it not David? Turning from a frivolous trip, coming back to Ziklag, to find Ziklag burned with fire. Everything that he held dear, he left at Ziklag. He didn't think nobody could touch Ziklag. That was the safe place in his life. But yet the enemy, being so cunning, was able to reach the safe place. Whew. Oh, how we are the same way. We think the enemy will never reach certain places in our life. But yet the enemy being so cunning, being so deceiving, lurking about, looking whom he may devour, he reaches into the safe place. And there David left it all to come back to find it all in smoke and to find nothing but ashes. Even those closest to him wanted to stone him, wanted to kill him. But what would David do when everything was on fire? David would build an altar out of the ashes and he would encourage himself he would encourage himself in the Lord. Hey, brother, your sick leg may be on fire, but you can still have a move of God in your heart and in your life. <laughs> you know, Scripture says in Psalms, it was good for me that I had been afflicted. That's tough words. That's hard to swallow. You ain't going to find that on no Hallmark card. I'm glad you were afflicted praying for you. It was good for me that I had been afflicted. You're telling me it was good for me that I had to go through that valley? 
It was good for me that I had to walk alone. It was good for me that I had to deal with that trouble in my home. It was good for me that I had to walk it by myself. It was good for me that I had no help when I thought I needed it. It was good for me that God put me in a position to call out on him in a way that I never called out on him before. I need to preach to somebody. All hell might be breaking loose in your life, but know this truth that prayer warriors are born out of the flames. Oh, mighty God. Oh, the power of the of the man on the inside. Whew. They tell me years ago, the Orient, there was little pottery shops. And a man used to walk by these pottery places, the potter's house. He began to notice all the discarded messed up pieces of pottery, the vases, the little decorations. They would just throw these discarded pieces of pottery out beside the pottery house. So a man began to collect everything that was discarded, everything that was broken, everything that was shattered, everything that was cracked. He took them to his, uh, his home and it's what now we know as kinsugai. Kinsugai, meaning the beauty of a broken thing. Kinsugai, meaning the golden repair. This man took the broken pieces of pottery. He began to melt down pure gold, and he would piece together the broken parts, and the broken parts were held together by the gold and now a worthless piece of pottery now had an astronomical price tag not because of what it was but because of what was keeping it together and may I please preach to somebody we all were broken but he found us we all were shattered but he found us and my worth is not who I was but we today are valuable because of he who's keeping us together thank God for the power of the man on the inside <laughs> he found me broken but he put me back together <laughs> when the world wrote me off said I was useless there was one that saw value in me and he put me back together it was not anything I did it was not because my daddy was raised in church it was not because someone cut a check but it was his work that put me back together again <laughs> he knows me my uprisings my downsettings, my frame, my fears. He knows me. The earthly high priests were many in number because death prevented them 
from continuing in that office. Whew. But as the text said, our great high priest, he holds that office permanently. He can't be impeached. He can't be voted out. It don't matter who holds the house or who's in control of Congress or the Senate. Whew. They're not getting rid of him. Whew. And he has all his faculties as well. Whew. My great high priest, ain't nobody removing him from office. <laughs> but he holds that office permanently. So it don't matter who occupies Washington. It don't matter what king is in England. It don't matter what dictators over China. My high priest, he holds the office permanently. <laughs> he reigns forevermore. And he's living to make intercession for you and I. Heaven sent its best to save us at our worst. This God-man, this divine deity, this glory in shoe leather, wrapping himself in flesh, Mary in the manger, held eternity in her arms. This illustrious, immaculate, splendid, sublime one, we have a great high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, exalted in the heavens, and you and I are on his heart. <laughs> that earthly high priest would wear a banner on his chest with the names of the tribe. Our great high priest you are on his heart. Whew. You're telling me that he that holds it all together, he knows me. I'm telling you, he knows you. You have not slipped his mind. He has not forgotten you, but he knows you. He knows the ones in deepest, darkest Africa. He knows those that's working in Australia and right here in Romney, West Virginia. He knows you. Brother Hughes, I'm not just overwhelmed by the heights of his holiness. Brother Jeffries, I'm not just overwhelmed by the depths of his divinity, by the width of his wonder, the circumference of his care, or the limitless length of his love. But what overwhelms me on a Sunday morning <laughs> is that the God that attends every sparrow's funeral, the God that named the stars, the God that constructed it all and holds it all in the palm of his hand, he knows me. <laughs> I don't know where you're at here today. I don't know what chapter of life you're living, but just know this truth. If you don't get anything out of it, he knows you. <laughs> but Jesus, being the ultimate sacrifice, 
the priest had to go in, offer sacrifice for their own sins and the sins of the people. But Jesus, being the ultimate sacrifice, once a year a bull would be slain outside of the holy place at the altar of blood. Once a year the priest would go to the most holy place, that inner sanctuary where the Shekinah glory of God resided, where the glory of God was being made manifest, and he would sprinkle that blood over the mercy seat. The priest's work was never completed. It was a continual, daunting work. A lot of articles of furniture, a lamp, a table, but you never saw a chair. You never read of a chair because the priest never had time to sit down. <laughs> but our great high priest, making that singular, satisfactory sacrifice on Calvary's hill, on that old rugged cross, he put an end to all the earthly sacrifices by one offering of himself. And he now completes the priestly work entering into the very presence of God to represent you and I. And when he said, it is finished, and he hung his head and died, but he rose again on the third day, what did he do? He ascended back to the Father, and he sat down. <laughs> because the work was done. You didn't have to bring a lamb with you here today. You didn't have to bring a dove. You didn't have to try to drag in a ram. But the work is done. The work is completed. And our great high priest, he reigns forevermore. <laughs> Saying then that we have a great high priest <laughs> that is passed into the heavens, the very Son of God. You know the text. We have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmity. <laughs> but in all points, I got to have it. He hungered, he thirsted. He grieved, he suffered loss, suffered rejection, a man of great sorrow. Whew. He knows what it's like because he's been there. <laughs> Brother Jeffries, I read a story about a little boy who wanted a cup. Dad, he opened up, looked into a nearby farm. few puppies in there. Pick you one out. Little boy was perusing, looking at all the puppies, and his eyes caught hold of the barn. And there in the barn in a little cage was a little tiny puppy. The little boy walked over, looked at the dog, told the farmer and his dad, 
I want that dog. Farmer said, you ain't getting that dog. He's the runt. He's got issues. I ain't selling that dog. Little boy looked at his dad and said, Dad, I want that dog. Farmer stood his ground, said, you ain't getting that dog. We're going to do away with that dog. He's worthless. He's useless. There's something wrong with his hips. He can't walk right. His legs don't work right. You ain't getting that dog. The little boy kept pushing, and the farmer kept denying. Till finally the little boy walked up to the farmer, grabbed hold of the farmer's leg. Farmer looked down. The little boy raised his pants legs, and on each leg was a brace. The little boy told the farmer, I want that dog because I know what that dog's going through. <laughs> I have a great high priest and you have a great high priest. He knows what you're going through. <laughs> Boy, I feel the Holy Ghost in this house. I don't know who I'm preaching to, but I know this. You've wondered and you've worried. Does he really know where I'm at? But you have a great high priest who's walked in your shoes. He knows what you're facing. He knows what you're fighting. You have a great high priest that can be touched with the feelings of your infirmity. <laughs> and the Lord said, Simon, Simon, come on, Jesse. Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. Peter, you're about to go through something terrible in your life. The enemy is coming for you. Satan hath desired demanded to have you. Peter, he's going to sift you. He's going to test you. He's going to trouble you. Boy, if that would have ended right there, what a solemn text. But it didn't because Jesus continued. But I have prayed for you. <laughs> oh, the power of the man on the inside. Oh, the presence of the man on the inside. Oh, the provision of the man on the inside. But my God, oh, the prayers of the man on the inside. Peter, I have prayed. <laughs> it's one thing to pray. It's another thing to know that your prayers have been answered. I've offered a lot of prayers that I hoped would be answered. But I'm not always assured that they will be answered. Sure, we've all experienced unanswered prayers. We don't work on his clock. He moves when he does. That's the way the Lord is. But please know that the prayers... <laughs> of our great high priest. They are powerful. They are life-shaking. They are earth-moving. They are hell-shattering. Those earthly high priests eventually died, but our great high priest rose from the grave, and he lives. <laughs> he lives forevermore. 
and he lives to intercede for you and I. So he prays with the power of his indestructible life. <laughs> I know a man on the inside that's praying for you. <laughs> I'm afraid we paint him, Sister Jeffries, as some man upstairs who has no idea where we're at. He's so far away from the earth, he has no clue about us. But oh, how we paint him in such a wrong picture. Because he knows right where I'm at. <laughs> and he's praying for me. <laughs> My father-in-law, John Scott Kewer, he's one of a kind. They broke the mold when they made him. I told him I was going to, next time he's in, going to bring him over here to safe haven because you all will never be the same. <coughs> Born, raised in Minnesota, Wisconsin, has the accent to prove it. Somehow ended up in Missouri, a tree hugger, used to protest against anything conservative, like marijuana, alcohol, and somehow, still to this day, he don't know how, he ended up in Missouri. Met my mother-in-law, got saved, gloriously saved. I told him, I said, you went from a tree hugger to a tree hugger. You've got a hold of that cross and you ain't never let go. Work construction as a plumber. A couple years ago, got a job at the Freeman Hospital System in Joplin, Missouri. A massive hospital. And he's the only plumber. The top guy. The main cheese. And he wears the title proud. He told me one afternoon, pre-COVID, he said, won't you come on down to the hospital? I'll give you a tour of the place. <laughs> I said, Paul in law, I know you think you're something. I know you think you're a mighty man. But I know there's places in that hospital that even the head plumber can't get into. He kind of got aggravated. What are son in laws for, you know? He said, I said, come on down to the hospital. I'm going to give you a tour of it. I said, Brother Keyword, there ain't no DR in front of your name. I know there's places you have no access to. He jumped up, ran over and got his little leather wallet, pulled out a little card that had his mugshot on it, set it down in front of me. He said, look here, boy. Now, now he's getting serious. Look here, boy. <laughs> 
You see this card? I see it. You see my picture? I see it. He said, this card gives me access to any room in the hospital. He said, so you come on down to Freeman Hospital on Monday morning. You walk up to that receptionist behind the desk and you tell her you're about to get a tour of the place because you know a man on the inside. (laughs) Hey, I know a man on the inside. He can open doors no man can shut. He can shut doors no man can open. I know a man on the inside and that gives me access to the throne of mercy and the throne of grace. Well, somebody ought to lift a hand. We know a man on the inside. Preach too long. I know a man. You know a man. I don't know where you're at here today. But you know a man on the inside. When it feels like you're broken and alone. You still have a man on the inside. Oh, my God of heaven. You can ask Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, how did you make it through? There was a fourth man. We had a man on the inside. You can ask the disciples in the boat, how'd you make it through that storm? Well, there was a divine one that was resting in the hinder part of the boat. We had a man on the inside. You can ask Daniel in the den of lions, how in the world did you make it through? Well, I had a man on the inside. And may I please preach to somebody, I don't know what you're going through, but you got a man. Brother Jeffries, over a year ago, over a year ago, Jessie had been having some severe pain in her left leg. Three different times she had episodes of this severe pain. We flew into Dulles on the way back from Bristol camp meeting. She couldn't even walk through the airport because the pain was so severe. The next morning, her breathing wasn't the best took her into the emergency room. She no more than made it to the hospital bed. She blacked out. Her oxygen was in the high 80s. Took her in for scans. She blacked out twice during the scans. Doctor came back into the room. They had her on the highest dose of oxygen they could possibly give somebody. Doctor said there's major problem you have a blood clot in your leg and you have two that's on the left side of your heart he said we don't know the full extent we do believe there's damage to the heart we don't know what's going to happen blood clots round as a bottle cap as long as a ruler we're not sure 
tonight in Petersburg Hospital. Next morning, doctor come in and said, we got to get her to Morgantown. That's the place. She's looking at surgery, possibly heart surgery, surgery to remove, extract these clots. It's very serious. They loaded her on an ambulance. I was following the ambulance on the way to Morgantown. I was a mess. I didn't know what to do. Didn't know where to go. Parents were following us. Her parents were driving in. I called Brother Shad McDonald. He's been a mentor to me ever since I've been a young man. I said, Brother Shad, this is the deal. Why her? Why now? Why this? What have we done wrong? Had so much stuff scheduled, months of traveling. I said, I'm going to have to start canceling all this stuff. He stopped me. He said, whoa, 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 whoa. He said, Chad, you don't cancel nothing. God's going to move. I tried to grab hold of that, but I'm only human. God, I got a word. We made it to the hospital around midnight. Two police officers met me at the door. They said no visitors allowed. Take her up to the ICU for lung patients. We'll give you 30 minutes. If you fight us, we'll escort you out. If you cause a scene, we'll arrest you. Stupid COVID. I was given 30 minutes. They come in, took me out. I didn't make a scene, though I wanted to. I wanted to lay hands on them suddenly. Don't the Bible say that? Went back to that hotel room. I was literally, my nerves were so shot, I was shaking. I was trying to pray, trying to hold on to that word. Woke up, hardly got no sleep. Went to the hospital, was the first one at the door. They hadn't even unlocked the doors yet. I was knocking on the glass. They let me in, walked up into that hospital room, that ICU. Standing there with Jesse, and a young doctor walked in, had a smile on his face. I'm going to be honest with you, I looked at him. I said, What are you smiling about? I wasn't in a smiley mood. He looked at me, said, Mr. Everett. A team of 12 doctors was looking at your wife's case last night. He said, we ran extensive tests on her heart, her lungs. He said, she was looking at heart surgery. We believe that side of the heart was severely damaged due to the clot passing through. He said, but something happened in the night. He said, as we ran more tests this morning, we did an extensive test on that heart again. And for some reason, <laughs> there isn't no damage at all. He said, there isn't even a sign that the clot even passed through. He said, your wife has a beautiful heart and there ain't no problem there. He said, the clots have went on to the lungs. And we believe and are confident that the lungs will eradicate the clots naturally. He said the clot in the leg 
We ain't worried about that. We'll put her on some medicine. She'll be good. He said, to be honest with you, I don't know what you're doing in the ICU. He said, to be further honest with you, we're going to get you to a regular room, do some paperwork, and send you on your way. <laughs> well, I preached too long. They sent a little man up <laughs> into the room to escort Jesse down to a normal room. He walks in the room with big old eyes. He said, I don't, I don't come to this floor much. He said, usually people on this floor never make it off. He looked at Jesse, looked at me. He said, what happened to her? <laughs> because I am who I am. I said, little man, you better sit down. I'm fixing to rock your world. They locked me out last night, but I had a man on the inside. <laughs> My great physician, he was on the case. When men said it was impossible, I had one that can make all things possible. I had a man on the inside. Stand your feet in this house. Lift your hands. Somebody, you need to be encouraged in your heart. You got a man on the inside. He's working the case. It's all gonna work for the good. Don't fear, don't fret, don't fall out. You got a man on the inside. Right now, this altar's open and you can come boldly to the throne of grace because you know the man on the inside. Whatever you have today, won't you bring it to him? Whatever trouble, whatever problem, whatever care, whatever calamity, whatever fear, whatever trial, won't you bring it to the Lord? You know a man on the inside.